Well, if you've been able to come along over these past few weeks, you'll know that we've been working through this whole series of looking at the final, uh, if you like, the final stage in the message of Jesus. When we think about it, 33 years Jesus lived, thereabouts, three years of ministry, and yet three years which have remarkably and dramatically changed the world. But it ends with something which very often we realize is a bit of a tag on, the idea that Jesus ascended. And yet we find that there is so much that we understand from it, so much that can uh, challenge us and address us and speak to us. You see what we've done here? We've uh, kind of created a little bit of a turning point in our, in our journey through this. We were going to do uh, eight, we're now doing nine in this series, and we've added a little bit of a Christmas theme to our, our slide to open it up. Uh, because it, it reminds us, doesn't it, the ascension of Jesus speaks absolutely clearly into the season that we are entering into. Really clearly, the ascension of Jesus speaks into Christmas. Quite simply, what have we looked at? We've seen the idea that uh, the one ascended takes humanity into heaven. And he enters into heaven as our priest, as our king, and as the man Jesus. A remarkable claim that the Bible makes. And yet, if we think about that claim, it is impossible to have that claim, isn't it? Unless Jesus first takes on human flesh. You see the connection, therefore, with Christmas. He can't ascend to heaven in human flesh unless he has taken on human flesh. And so they go together. There is a sense in which there is a completion. The book ends of the story of Jesus. Uh, The book ends of the Jesus moment revolve around the very issue of Jesus in human flesh. He comes into a stable, born as a man, He returns to heaven as a man. There is a sense of that completeness. And therefore, it is really appropriate that we just focus on this little thought at the end of this series. As we turn, if you like, over these next few weeks to think about our Christmas time, we realize that there is an absolute connectedness with the ascension of Jesus. There's a remarkable uh, verse in Isaiah chapter 1, Verse 18, where God is speaking to his people. As he speaks to them, he uses words which are really appropriate for this afternoon. Really helpful for us. Um, He says this, come now. Let us settle the matter, it says, in our version today. If we took the the older uh, version, the the, uh, King James version, version, it says this. Come, let us reason together. Both of those carry the same idea of God saying to his people in Isaiah chapter 1, come on, now let's get together. Let's think about and let's talk about the issue. What is the issue? Here's the issue, he says. Come, let us settle the matter. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. 
God is inviting his people. He's inviting those who he is addressing through the prophet and saying, now, let's just spend some time. Let's think about how this works. Here's the reality. Here's the condition, if you like. The condition is that your sins are stark. Your, your sin is clearly marking red like crimson. One of the things that we realize from the ancient world is that blood could not easily, well, it couldn't be got rid of out of clothes. Uh, those of you who've got blood on your clothes and don't have any kind of biological detergents, once it's there, it's there. You can't boil it out. It's mark, it marks you. There is something remarkable. There is a connection where God says, now look, this is marking you, but there is a way in which you will become white, cleansed, clean. I want to suggest that really the Jesus moment from his birth to his ascension are God's way of saying, come on now, let's settle the matter, shall we? Let's reason together. Let's think about this. Let's do that, shall we, this afternoon. How does the birth of Jesus connect with the ascension of Jesus? And how does it address the most significant issue of our human condition? The fact that we are before God marked with sin, stained with sin. How does it deal with this? Well, the first thing that we see is we see God in humanity. The second thing that we're going to see is humanity restarted. And the third thing that we're going to see is becoming a new humanity. They're the three steps that we're going to take this afternoon. God in humanity. We're going to open by, um, we didn't read this. Chris would, would be delighted that we didn't read this. When we, uh, re- when we send out beforehand the, uh, the uh, Bible reading so that people can prepare. And uh, I'm sure she was really glad that it started at verse 18 rather than started at verse 1. I would be really glad if it started at verse 18. Because what we see here is the, the preliminary verses that prepare us for what we read earlier. And what it's saying is, now let's have a look at what happens for Joseph and therefore Jesus. Let's establish what's gone on. And it's a whole list of uh, descendants. It's a family tree in words. It starts right at the beginning there. We see Abraham uh, and right the way through to we see uh, Jacob, Jacob the father of Joseph the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. So there we've got, in terms of the Bible's uh, establishing uh, a, if a foundation for us, it starts at Abraham. Those of you who know a little bit about the Bible, you will know that Abraham is the key figure in establishing God's communication to his people. That's how God builds his communication from the foundation of Abraham. And we see that all of the promises that God makes are through this process of God speaking through his people, ultimately in Jesus. So we see Abraham through to Jacob and therefore Joseph and then Jesus. And then what we say 
in verse 18, having looked at that long family tree, we see this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. So there's, we've got, we've got the establishment, and that says a huge amount to us. Firstly, it says that Jesus was born as a man because Mary became pregnant and bore a child in Bethlehem on that first Christmas night. There was a young woman who was crying in pain as she bore a child. Ordinary birth, an ordinary birth. At the moment where Jesus came into the world, he was born as a baby. You know, the umbilical cord was cut, separating Jesus from Mary. He was born as a baby. But we also see that there is a strong difference, there is a step change that takes place. Because what we also see, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. In other words, the fathering of Jesus was not Joseph. He was born, Jesus was born as a man, but the fathering of Jesus was not Joseph, even though all of the chapter is establishing Jesus as the son of Joseph. Isn't that remarkable? The way the Bible works there, the way Matthew has gathered this together for us. He's created this whole family tree, and then this verse says, and Jesus was born to Joseph, and yet uniquely not to Joseph. He was born as a baby in human form, and yet uniquely in a way which no other human baby has ever been born before. There is a uniqueness to the birth of Jesus. But at the same time, what we are seeing is a remarkable statement. We're seeing that God is making a statement, God in humanity. That's the statement that's being made. This highly, highly acclaimed uh, TV program, Who Do You Think You Are? As some of you will have seen it. It takes celebrities, goes back and looks at who they're, who they're something interesting from their past, goes back and sees uh, maybe some key figure who's been really important in the heritage of that person. You know, the reality is, folks, um, we cannot avoid being from somewhere, can we? We all have some kind of a heritage. We have a background. We have if you're a genealogy. We have a family tree. Now, I, I know that some might want to get rid of that, might want to live almost, let's draw a line in the sand somewhere back there, and it all changes from here. That can be for good reasons, it can be bad for bad reasons. There can be all sorts of reasons why we might want to restart our family tree, but the reality is that we all have a heritage. We all come from somewhere. In a sense, that is precisely the point that Matthew is making in the claim that he is making of Jesus. He comes with a heritage. And the heritage is what? We saw it on the previous slide. A whole series of connections which takes Jesus ultimately back to Abraham. 
That whole process which tells us what? Which tells us that throughout those hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God was working. So Abraham, God speaks to. Isaac, Jacob, David, Jesus, Joseph, Jesus. That whole process is making the point the heritage of Jesus is consistent with what God has said is going to happen. Everything that God has promised, everything that He said is going to happen, happens in Jesus. This moment where all of the points that He has made in the past converge in one. God in humanity. What I find remarkable is this. For all of that, for all of that great truth, that God was working it out and making sure that it happened in precisely the way that He was ordering it, Joseph was no big shot. Joseph was no big shot. He wasn't a big high-profile player. He wasn't politically powerful. He wasn't incredibly rich. He was a carpenter. He's just an ordinary man. Mary was an ordinary woman. And yet, just like we find in that, who do you think you are? There is some interesting connection. Joseph was of a royal lineage. Go back in time and we realize he's a direct descendant of David. We realize he's a direct descendant of Abraham because that's what God was doing. I don't know where you all are in terms of your understanding and relationship to the message of the Bible and to the message of Jesus. I know that for some, the idea of coming to Jesus, coming to a Christ, a Messiah, somebody who demands that we conform to Him, can be a problem. It can be a problem maybe in one of two ways. One, because we think we're too big for that. We think that we're too important. We think that this is just an old book. It's something out of history that we can ignore, that we can forget about. It's a challenge to us. Jesus' demand is timeless. But then for others, it can, it can be a sense of unworthiness. A sense of, I, I can't come because I'm not X, Y, Z. Maybe I don't think that I am justified, that kind of attention. My, maybe I don't think that anybody should really care for me in that way. Maybe I don't think I'm important enough. Maybe I don't think I have high enough status. Maybe I'm not intellectually smart enough to come to Jesus. So many reasons why we think we're not up to it. You know, the great news is, Jesus came to the most humble of families. God doesn't decide to break into this world with big shots, with high profile. As if God is saying right from the very beginning, I am going to come in a way which is accessible for you. No matter where you are. I'll make demands of you if you think that you are too much. But I'll also come alongside you and encourage you and, and be with you if you think that you are not justified. 
to come to me. Because I came in gentleness. So the first thing that we see here is that God fits his purpose in the world through Jesus. God in humanity. Second thing that we see though is humanity restarted. There's a moment for Joseph. It's a moment where we can see the way he responds. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had him in mind to divorce her quietly. We read, in, uh, we read the word betrothed. We see that in the Bible. In, uh, I think it's Luke. We see that um, Mary and Joseph are betrothed. It's, it's way more than engaged. It's a legal commitment of the time. It's a way of saying we are absolutely committed to the idea that we are ma- going to be married. We are legally committed to each other. Uh, and that's why we see the word divorced here, even though at this point in our kind of language, they're not married. There is a, a crisis for Joseph, a real crisis, because he knows that he has not fathered the child that Mary is bearing. He knows that he's not. And he's in a dilemma. There is a sense of the law which says, at that point, in, a, in that particular point in history, where God says, that demands uh, a, a capital response. And yet at the same time, Joseph just loves her. It's a great moment of remarkable grace in Joseph where he says, but I love her. And therefore what I'm going to do is I'm going to protect her. And I'm going to divorce her. And then God breaks in and speaks to Joseph in this dream and explains what has gone on. This is this remarkable moment in history. What's happening? Jesus is being born as a baby in a way that no other human being to that point or since has been born. What we see is a restart of humanity. Every other human being, every other human being in this world from the very beginning of time until now is dependent upon a father and mother. We are all connected, therefore, throughout that process to the very beginning of time. We are all connected, in one sense, to each other, aren't we? Because we all bear that same dependence on a father and a mother. And yet Jesus comes in and there is a new start to humanity in Jesus. There is a new humanity that is formed in Jesus. Because he is not consistent with what has gone before. It's like this step change. It's like, I don't know whether you know, but um, Bill Gates, I, I, I've got to confess, I, I don't even know how to restart a Mac Um, I don't know how you do that, um, but I'm sure there is a way. But I know with a PC that um, Bill Gates wrote into the, or decided to go with the idea of programming, the whole control-alt-delete 
Those of you who are into computers know exactly what I'm talking about. Control-Alt-Delete gives you the opportunity to restart your computer. It's kind of the final, everything's gone wrong. This is the way to kind of you know, recover everything. Control-Alt-Delete, restart. It's like everything's going crazy. I'll press these three buttons and we can start again. Imagine if you, or imagine if humanity could control, alt, delete on your life. Imagine if you had the opportunity to say, there's that moment in time, there's that thing, there's that decision, there's that that I've done, there's that that I've said, there's that who I am where I I just wish that I could press Control-Alt-Delete on life and kind of restart it, as though everything there didn't happen. Imagine if humanity could Control-Alt-Delete. Imagine if we could take the idea of Control-Alt-Delete way back in the story of the Bible as it unfolds, we see that there is a crisis in humanity that takes place when human beings rebel against God. Imagine if we could control, alt, delete at that moment and say, let's start again. But the reality is, we can't, can we? We are in that condition. We can't control, alt, delete life. We are in that situation. Those things that are, are. Those things that have been, have been, and still continue to be. And yet what we see breaking in at this moment in time is we see Jesus coming into the world with a control-alt-delete on humanity. What do I mean by that? Hebrews 4 tells us what kind of control-alt-delete Jesus made. Verse 15 says this, we're back to our idea of Jesus in heaven. We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. So here's the thing. You know and I know why do we wish that we could control alt-delete? Because there is some temptation, there is some opportunity, there is something in the way of our life that we make a decision to respond in a particular way, to say a certain thing, to do a certain thing, because that moment of temptation, we decide, I am going to go in that direction. Do you know what? Jesus understands those moments. That's what Hebrews 4 says, verse 15. He is not some kind of authoritarian being who looks down and does not understand the reality of those temptations. But you know and I know that I am, I am and you are at times completely unable to stand against those moments, aren't we? If we think we can, we're deluded. There are moments when we are completely unable to stand against those temptations. Jesus understands the temptations, but it says this, yet he did not sin. Wow. You see, the life of Jesus, that that control-alt-delete moment in history at the birth of Jesus is the establishment of a humanity that does not sin. 
Jesus, the one who came into the world in the whole of human history, who has faced those temptations and has not made those decisions that you and I find that we make. And we are unable to do anything but make those decisions. He came in, he faced those issues, and he did not sin. Isn't that great news? That is what he is. That is who he is. That is his very being. He comes in. And he is humanity restarted. Well, so that's good news in one sense, but it's meaningless in another sense. It's a statement of fact. If we treat, if we believe the Bible to be true, if we believe the claims about Jesus, that he is that, That's like, well, so what? So what? Jesus was born. He lived 33 years. He faced temptation and he didn't sin. So what? What is the issue with that? Why does that 33 years of life impact me today? Why is it relevant to me today? Because what Jesus does, having come God in humanity, having restarted humanity, he then invites us to become a new humanity. He invites us. The critical moment in all of our lives, in all of human history, and potentially in our individual lives. We speak of times that have changed the world. I guess, in a real sense, We've been reminded of that in these past week, past few weeks actually. 50 years since Dealey Plaza. Those of you who are old enough to remember the assassination of Kennedy. Some of you will, I'm sure if you remember it, you will remember where you were when you heard the news. The assassination of Kennedy. One of those key moments in human history. Pretty much most of us will remember where we were when we heard of 9-11. Some of us will probably remember the day that Nelson Mandela was released from prison. What a remarkable day that was. Amazing step change in South Africa. What an amazing man. What incredible grace God poured out on the world through that man. Remarkable man. Desmond Tutu said that Mandela went into prison an angry man and needed calming. He said he needed that time in prison. Wow. 27 years in prison, 18 of which were in solitary confinement. And Desmond Tutu, his real good friend, said he needed that time in prison. Because he went in an angry man and he came out a man who was calmed and ready to change the world. Well, South Africa, and impacts in all sorts of other ways, breathtaking. But he needed that time. And I think that that's just a poor reflection of what we see in Jesus. Now, Jesus breaking into our world and taking on human flesh is not a nice idea. We need it. God needed to break into humanity. 
to redeem humanity. Precisely because we are who we are. Humans who are destined to continuously rebel, to continuously fall, to continuously sin against the God who created us. God breaks in because it was the only way. And then he says, the way to connect with my life, if I am the one effectively who has restarted humanity, you need to be born into my humanity. He said that to a man called Nicodemus in John chapter 3. A man who was struggling to understand what it meant to really be connected to the living God, to be associated with Him. How do we become connected? How do we become part of this new humanity? How does the fact that Jesus restarted humanity have any impact on you and me personally? Jesus says, the way is for you to be born into my humanity. In other words, every single one of us have been born into a humanity, haven't we? We've all been born into the natural lineage of our parents. We've been born into the humanity of our families. And Jesus says, now, having been born once into that, it is now necessary for you to be born again into a new humanity. Born into me. How does that work? Well, he goes on and he says, the way that that works is not by flesh, but by spirit. Because flesh gives birth to flesh. In other words, you and me, reliant on our parents, born in human flesh, because our parents are who we are relying on. We're born in that kind of way. But having been born in that kind of way, we now need to be born in a new kind of way, which is dependent not on flesh, but on spirit. In other words, the connection, the spiritual connection between Jesus and you and me is the work of the spirit worked out by the power of Jesus speaking to us and connecting us to him. It's so remarkable that Jesus said it is being born again. That is the the invitation that Jesus makes. That is the requirement that he states. You must be born again and the way is by my spirit. So we've seen God in humanity We've seen humanity restarted. We've seen becoming a new humanity. How does this connect with the ascension? You know what? Matthew chapter 1 speaks about the gospel in an amazing way. Right the way, did you spot something that went before in that huge list of names, all of those people who were born, who were part of the lineage of Jesus. It's so obvious that it's hidden. (laughs) What's obvious? Every single one of them has died. Haven't they? All of the heritage of Jesus, 
Every single one in that lineage just reminds us of what it is to be born simply in flesh terms. We die. Jesus, as we have seen over these past weeks, creates a step change. In all of that list, from Abraham to Jesus, He is the one who creates a change, which is this. He doesn't die. We all know that He does die. We know that He dies on the cross. But we also know that He lives. In other words, His death is not final. Like every other one who has gone before, his death is final. And now we see in Jesus, his death is not final. It doesn't win. Everyone who has gone before, they die and that is the end. And yet in Jesus, there is life. There is eternal life. Now that makes sense of everything that he offers. Where he says, in me, you have eternal life. A tremendous claim that Jesus makes. A humanity, as God breaks in, a humanity that is restarted, a humanity that becomes part of our opportunity to be associated, to be, as we saw in the middle of the week, we are able to be in Jesus or in Christ. I think it's a great start to our time over these coming weeks as we look at the birth of Jesus in more detail.